You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is M.K. Williams, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Tamika of the House of Five podcast, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Deanna from MsFiology.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Amy from LifeZemplified.com and WomenWhoMoney.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, today we're asking the question, is financial independence different for women? And we have four special guests on the line today, and they're going to go through and do a quick introduction for us. MK, can you start us off? Hi, my name is MK Williams. I'm a self-published author, and some of you may have heard of me as the author of the Phi fiction book, Enemies of Peace. Wonderful. Thank you for being on here today. Tamika, how about you? Hi, I'm Tamika. I am the blogger for the Reluctant Frugalist uh, website and also the podcast host, co-host for House of Fi. And Deanna, how about you? Hey, yeah, I am Deanna and I blog over at MsFiology.com where I share my transformative story from addiction to debt freedom to now being on the path to financial independence. Well, we're sure glad to have you today. Amy, can you give us a quick intro? Hi, this is Amy from Life Simplified, where I blog about food, finance, fitness, and fun. And also, I'm the co-founder of Women Who Money, where we um, deal with financial uh, discussions for specifically for women, although we do have uh, a lot of information for men as well. All right. I'd like to start off the conversation with MK. MK, I was listening to a podcast you were on, and the host asked you some of your favorite authors, and you mentioned Margaret Atwood. And of course, we all know Margaret Atwood from The Handsmaid's Tale. Now, for those of you who haven't watched this TV show, The Handmaid's Tale is a dystopian look at society where women have lost their power, both economically and physically. And I'm wondering if you see a kernel of truth in today's society on what we see on the series? Um, Maybe not necessarily today's society, but certainly not that long ago. So what's interesting is Margaret Atwood actually wrote Handmaid's Tale while she was living in Berlin in the 1980s. So she was seeing a very stark contrast between East Berlin and West Berlin. 
and seeing that not only just women, but most people lost their means very quickly when the wall went up and living under the wall. Um, and when you think about our society, you know, women haven't even had the right to vote in our country for 100 years yet. And they've only really started to advance financially um, in the dawn of World War II when women actually went to work um, and said, no, I want to stay working. So if you think about it, we're not that many decades removed from a time when women didn't have the ability to have financial means. Um, so I think there is a kernel of truth there. And I think it's easy for us to see that regressing quickly because it hasn't been that long. But hopefully um, in one or two generations, it will seem truly just lots so far-fetched. Um, that could never happen. Amy, as I listen to MK, I think a lot about how society has changed over the last few decades. And I feel personally like there have been a lot of steps forward, but I also feel that every time we take a step forward, whether it be race or gender, there's always a backlash. So recently I was on the Choose FI group page and someone or another had decided to start a group that was about personal finance for women. And although there are a lot of responses that were very supportive, uh, there were occasionally responses from men specifically who were unhappy with this idea that a group or a forum should be for women as opposed to be for everyone. In fact, a lot of times they say things like, well, we don't have a forum specifically for men. What do you say to that kind of logic? <laughs> uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I personally had not participated in any for women only discussion forums in the past. I've always, uh, I've always worked primarily with men and I'm way back to high school. I was always friends mostly with guys. Um, and I, I've always worked, um, you know, usually with 80% of the workforce being male. So I've always been comfortable in that situation. However, I, I think in today's age, a lot of women aren't comfortable around men. Um, and so I think that there is a space for just women because there are things men will just never understand. Um, men, you know, they don't have babies. They don't, you know, have some of the situations that women um, have. And, and being a woman, um, you know, even today is, is difficult in a man's world. Yes, we've made a lot of progress. There's a lot of, you know, movements for equality in that. But I still think it is difficult to be a woman. And we need our own space at times. Tamika, I want to talk about this a little bit. I remember listening to a few podcasts you've been on when asked about some of your teaching or learning about finances during a kid, you reference your father quite often. And one thing I've noticed throughout a lot of the podcasts I've listened to and a lot of the content that I've read is a lot of people reference their fathers when they talk about money and how they learned, but they don't talk as much about their mothers. So what Amy's saying is that women do need this space. Do you think that that's a generational thing, that when we were growing up, it was the dad who would talk about it, but nowadays women are talking to each other more about it? Well, what I can say is that from my experience, when my children grow up, they will reference me as their teacher. They probably will not reference their fathers the way that I did. 
And I don't think that there is a connection between dad as the teacher. I think that in the past, the dad was making the most money. And so that transition has started to happen where in my family, I'm actually the breadwinner. Um, and it, I take it as my responsibility as my, my children's teacher and parent to teach them about money. But I do think that sometimes you do need a space where you can just have some quiet and some focus and that having a women's only space or a minority only space for a limited amount of time um, as you transition into uh, learning about money or mastering your money can be helpful. But I think that it's important to keep in mind that that should be our hope is that that would be a temporary thing and that in a number of generations, you won't need to have a separate group. But at this time, when we're transitioning and learning and catching up, you know, it's helpful to share uh, our experiences and our learnings with each other. Yeah, Deanna, I want to go over to you. You know, I was listening this morning to your Choose FI episode, and you talked about being brought up in a two-parent Christian household where your father was the breadwinner. And I'm interested in what messaging you felt you received from your parents, specifically from your father about finances. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up when I was young, as you said, my father was a sole breadwinner and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, so I didn't, finances were not really discussed at that point in my life, but we were taken care of physically. All my needs were met. Um, I would say the biggest impression on me when I in my young adult life was when my mom went back to school um, when I was in elementary school. She decided she wanted to become a nurse. And so pretty much all through my elementary years, she was at the dining room table studying. First she became an LPN and then later she became an RN. And you know, growing up in that two-parent household, um, my father was definitely the authority figure. Um, he was a little bit domineering and sometimes I would get really frustrated at that because I saw how, how hard my mother worked at the household and she really didn't have any time off, right? She was cleaning, cooking and taking care of the kids and I was a rebellious little kid. So I would always say, why do you, you have to do everything? <laughs> but um, what I, when she went back to school, I remember, and I don't think I was aware that the message I received at that time was that it's never too late you know, to go back and to change the tra trajectory of your life. And she became, you know, an equal breadwinner um, at some point. She actually became the um, main breadwinner later on when my dad was switching jobs. So I saw it also change her confidence in her place in the household. I saw her start to become a little bit more assertive in her role and what, you know, she wanted help with around the household. And so I would say that had more of an um, impact on me than my father being the main breadwinner. So MK, I think we talk a lot about these stereotypes like assertiveness and the role of men and women in relationships. I'm interested in your writing of Enemies of the Peace. Obviously, you dealt with a lot of these stereotypes, especially since we kind of categorize this as financial independence fiction, right? So you have an interest in financial independence, and you've created and built characters around um, these topics. Tell me about Cynthia from Enemies of the Peace. How does she fit into the, the stereotypes about gender and finances? 
Um, so yeah, it was really fun to write Enemies of Peace, and it was really fun to write Cynthia um, as sort of the anti-fi, anti-hero, right? And I initially started out as a satire where almost everything that she and her husband were doing were just exaggerated to the nth degree of what we talk about is the mistakes people make and the, you know, very trivial reasons that they do things. Um, and I toned it back a lot um, because I realized not all satire plays out well. It sounded kind of mean. But obviously I wanted to give her more than just, it's not that she likes to go shopping. It's not that she likes to have finer things and doesn't care about, you know, where the money comes from. It's that that was her upbringing where she was never spoken to about, about money. It just showed up and that her parents didn't explain the financial troubles that they had until it was too late in life. And she had kind of formed these expectations and that some of her compulsive shopping comes from deep seated insecurities so that it's never just, okay, somebody's just, you know, really vapid and, and into shopping. It's like, no, there's something behind that. And that's what I see a lot of people on the FI path question. Um, you know, usually people start out making the typical mistakes. A lot of people do because that's what they see on television. That's what they see on in mass media. Um, and then they finally say, oh, I can't pay this bill. Why did I spend so much here? What's going on? So uh, kind of showing somebody who hasn't hit that road bump until it's too late. Um, and it was really fun to contrast her with Melinda, who was our five female heroine. And to kind of show that, you know, one isn't all bad and one isn't all good. And it was very fun to play with because I realized several um, women in the FI community who read the book were like, I identify with Cynthia. I was her. And now I'm Melinda. Um, so it was really fun to, to see that people identified with that journey. Yeah, Amy, I want to talk about this consumption-based society a little bit uh, that MK is talking about. I think we're all pushed to consumption, but it feels to me that women are pushed even further in today's mass market with all the advertising and marketing Women are pushed to be glamorous. Uh, the fashion industry specifically uh, targets especially young women and looks at them for these very expensive purchases. Is it harder uh, because of all the pressures? Is society really pushing all of these products on women more than men? Sure, I think so. I think a lot of it starts with um, women, you know, I listen to your generational podcast this morning and made me think about how how we are all alike but we are different and somebody said something about uh, our generation x like wanting it all or, or i can't remember the exact words but i think i grew up thinking we could do it all and that you know was a stepping so we could do it all we could be a mom we could go to college we could have a career and we were supposed to do it all and that consumption just breeds right into that because then you need all that stuff to be able to do it all and have it all. And yeah. And, and the marketers have just picked up on that and then everywhere you go and, and it's just constant. Tamika, tell me, you know, being a parent and hosting the house of Fi podcast, you guys really do center on families. So what kind of messages do you send your children and what kind of messages do your podcast guests send to their kids, especially their girls, about the advertising and mass marketing and what they're being sold about personal finance? Yeah, it's very difficult to maneuver. I have a beautiful daughter. She's just the cutest thing. Um, she looks a lot like me. And <laughs> she, it's very Anytime 
I ever mention to her that she's just so beautiful, I always have to throw in and smart. Um, I've had to condition myself to talk about how hardworking she is and how much effort she puts into things versus just always focusing on her exterior beauty. Uh, so that's one thing that I've had to learn to recondition myself about when it comes to raising my, my kids, all of my kids, they're all very smart and very um, handsome. Uh, and so I try to focus on what they learn and what they can do over how they look and how they're perceived. But to touch on what Amy said, I would agree that, Doc, when you walk into an, a, a patient's room, because you're a man, I doubt that you've ever been mistaken for a CNA or for a nurse. And so there's something that is to be said for a woman or even a minority having to dress the part, whereas a male can just be the part, look the part. Um, be ascribed the part when they don't even have the uh, the designations. So, yes, that's part of the pressure. Even for myself, uh, I always had my hair straight. I always had it long. I recently cut my hair off. I'm growing it. Uh, my sister is a loctician, so I'm growing it, and it's going to be beautiful, and it is beautiful. But that was a huge decision for me. And I, I think that I only have done that now because I'm a school nurse and because I, I'm in an office. And I think that if I was still working in accounting uh, at Deloitte or in another profession, I probably, you know, I would have to grapple with that decision a lot more just because part of your appearance determines how you're perceived by a client or by a patient or by other nurses and other doctors. And I, I don't know, I'd like to hear what some other people have to say about it. Yeah, I, I would bounce off what you just said. I was just having a conversation with a physician friend of mine whose daughter was sick and she was on the pediatric floor and he, a physician, mistook the treating physician as a nurse. And afterwards, he kind of looked at me and said, yeah, I made a complete assumption because, uh, because she's a woman and he, he, you know, he realized it and he felt bad about it, but it was kind of what happened. So, Tamika, I, I want to transition a little bit. Um, you were working as a nurse, and then you transitioned to being a business owner. And for better or for worse, in our gendered community, we look at nursing as a woman's work, quote unquote. And often we think of building a business as something a man does. And I'm wondering if you got pushback from family, friends, community, if it was a hard transition for other people to make because it wasn't what they expected you to do? No, um, I didn't get any pushback for that, that reason. I got a lot of pushback from my mom, actually, uh, for fear. And I think that fear is another part of the experience that a female specifically may have with money. And I'm not sure if that has to do with a minority female, just a female, an immigrant, an immigrant female, but there's fear in making another step in taking a chance. And so I have had to learn not to listen to the fear. Um, 
I dismiss it a lot of times. And I think a, a, a part of that is because my initial aspiration was actually to become a doctor. And I was set up to become a doctor and fear and also some other considerations that have specifically to do with being female kind of veered me off of that path. And so, you know, learning from that, how fear can take you off of a path and lead you to, down a different path, I, I really work to overcome any fears. And I, I will point out that I could have started a business that was not in a niche that I already knew. And I didn't do that because too much risk still makes me afraid <laughs> and I don't want to wipe out. I don't want to lose, but I do try to still push myself. And I think that the next business I, I pursue may be bigger because I'm going to continue to do that. So Amy, I, I'd like you to speak to this idea of taking risk and how that plays into your website, Women Who Money. Do you believe that that is a major roadblock to keeping women from starting new businesses and being entrepreneurial? I do. I think it's a major roadblock for men and women. Um, I've had quite a few businesses, and um, I hear time and time again from people about how they could never do that, or that's too scary, and uh, you know, people not willing to take risks. I, I do think women probably are a little more fearful, mainly what you said earlier, that you know, typical gender stereotypes that men do business, women don't, women do other things. Um, obviously, that's changed a lot. It never stopped me, but I do think it stops a lot of people. MK, I'm wondering, with all these stereotypes, you as an author have the power to create and make your characters whoever you want them to be. What is the idealized, financially savvy heroine look like? Well, that's a tough question because I think there, there would never be one woman who could encompass all of the awesome, you know, kick butt women that are in the FI community. We're all so diverse. I mean, just as diverse as women in the general population, that's the population of women in the FI community are very diverse. Um, but from what I've seen and the people I've encountered in the FI community, you know, all the women I meet with are very encouraging and supportive of each other. And I think that's one of the things I just hear repeated over and over again. Um, you know, women are never going to break the biggest glass ceilings if we don't work together instead of against each other. Um, we need to see that there's room for every seat in the boardroom to be female, not only 50%, which is a great quote by like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was asked, what, how many women on the Supreme Court is enough? And she said nine. And I was like, yes. Um, and that's kind of the mindset we need for, you know, how many female podcasts should there be in the FI space? A thousand unlimited. Like it shouldn't matter. Um, and so I think for this ultimate FI heroine, you know, she would be um, the person who sees that fear but overcomes it because that exists. You know, she wouldn't be somebody who doesn't have it. She would overcome it. She'd be somebody who would spend that extra effort. And, you know, she's already thinking about how she communicates and how she dresses and all those things. And she's also then saying, but I'm going to do things my way. Um, and again, moving past that. Um, and somebody who sets a good example. And most importantly, looks to the person behind her who doesn't know um, all the things that, that we do about personal finance and see somebody who's struggling and, you know, starts to either directly say you should do this or educate them subtly and, and find the right way to get that in there. Um, and I tried to incorporate that with Melinda, um, the character in Enemies of Peace, as somebody who was, you know, she was walking the talk um, and doing all those things and setting a positive example and, you know, then going off and living her dream life, which everybody wants right off into the sunset. 
Um, but I think it, it would be tough to capture just one character to keep everything. I would probably have to create like an Amazon woman tribe of FI superheroes. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, moving from the fictional to the real-life superheroes... I want to talk to Deanna a little bit. One thing I kind of heard you say in the last podcast that I listened to of yours is that what you've been through has chiseled you into the woman you are today. And I noticed you didn't say the person I am today, and maybe maybe that is not an important difference. But I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. And, and more importantly, what is your vision for your blog and what you tell a young girl maybe going through what you went through? Yeah. Um, great questions. So yeah, I, I don't know if that matters, you know, that everything I went through chiseled me into the person or the woman that I am today, but I am a woman. So I d- identify as such. And um, yeah, I recognize that 
just my insecurities that I grew up with and the lies I believed about myself um, kind of clouded me from recognizing who I really was and identifying my giftings and my, um, you know, my abilities to serve and um, teach and just all that I have to offer. And so a lot of those were just kind of pushed down for years. And so, you know, as I mentioned, I don't think you know, my purpose was to become an addict. Definitely not. I don't think that's the life that God chose for me. But as I mentioned, I don't believe he wastes anything. And so out of what I overcame, um, that has kind of become part of my purpose. And so I think my gifts were always there to teach and to help and to serve. Um, I love to teach. I love to speak and to guide and coach. And so those were kind of the gifts that were already there. And now I just happen to do it for women in recovery. And then now I'm kind of transitioning to women who wants to gain control of their finances. So sometimes there's a crossover. A lot of times women in recovery um, have financial wreckages to clean up, as did I, and some don't. And then also there are just women that have reached out to me that just have financial wreckages and want to know how to kind of gain control. So that's something that I'm starting. I've been working with women for years in recovery, and now I'm just starting to work with women on their financial lives. So um, in regards to my blog, um, yeah, I think I want to speak more specifically to the women audience, maybe a woman that thought it was too late or thinks it's too late or wants to turn their life around, whether it's through recovery, whether it's financially, Um, And I want to be able to speak to that and provide enough resources that they can do that and come to my site and find what they need. So Tamika, Deanna talks about speaking to women. I see, especially in your podcast, that you guys speak a lot to families. And I think it's a unique space, but I hear it or I think I hear this kind of conversation more being discussed by women than men. So is financial independence and the well-being of the family naturally fall to women? Do you see men talking about this as much? I don't know that I see men talking to this, but I know that they should be talking about this. Uh, And even our messages today are not just for women to benefit from, you know, insight on this topic. It is beneficial as we talk about our giftings, like Deanna said, that the person who has a gift, whether they are male or female, has the access and the ability to pursue and reach that gift. Because when you're working in your gift, you are the best suited person and you bring the best power to that gift. You you make it the best. So it's important that not just women find this to be an important subject and feel that this subject of women in fight only resonates with them. Men have to make this resonate with them as well because it affects your family when you know that your wife is just as qualified as you and because she takes off nine months or six months or even three months to have a baby, um, she's forever thrown off of her her trajectory. That affects your children and your legacy and your income as a family. These are issues that should be thought about by all members of the family and taught to all members of the family, male or female. Amy, I'm wondering, do you see a lot of women come to the Women Who Money site looking for advice on spousal buy-in, trying to get spouses or even families Uh, to buy into a financial plan? 
yeah, um, some of our most popular articles on women handle money and are also our women's money talk have been about relationships and money. Um, I think that's one of our highest search terms <laughs> is how do you, you know, how to uh, talk to your spouse about money or how to um, handle, you know, the, the money relate in the relationship. So yeah, those have been popular articles. And MK, I'd echo the same question to you. In your writing, in your Phi fiction, is that a tension point which you like to play upon the relationship between men and women and their differences in family finance or in personal finance? So in Enemies of Peace, I didn't necessarily call out, you know, the male did this, the female did that. Um, I did try to highlight um, just communication breakdowns that are inherent in any relationship, whether it's about money or, or anything else. Um, so that was a big plot point between Timothy and Cynthia Lawson is that they just weren't communicating and neither of them were taking ownership for their finances because of it. And that kind of led to their downfall. So uh, it's something that I don't really want to play up, even if it's to say, well, this is bad, just because I wouldn't want any um, couple to read this and think I'm promoting a stereotype necessarily, unless it's for a point of a, of a lesson or, or a character driven experience. But I think it'd be interesting to, kind of flip things around because um, it'd be interesting to have a character where the woman is taking care of everything and the guy is, you know, not taking care of it, whatever the reverse is. I always like playing with that and I enjoy reading books um, that play on those stereotypes um, and flip them on their head. I may or may not be working. So it's, it's always good if it stops and make people think about what's going on in our society and is this true? Is this not true? And things like that. Well, talking about flipping this thing on, on its end or, turning around our stereotypes, we have this, I've heard each of you speak to it a little bit, this idea that gender roles and that there's a separate group for women or for a minority or for whatever, typically not white males. And the, the, the question that I have is, what is it going to take in order for, or what should we be doing in our communities to get us to this place that Tamika mentioned where you don't have to talk about it? Well, we're not there yet, and we, and we should be talking about it, but what are the steps to get there? I'll direct that to Tamika at first because you're the one that brought it up. What can we be doing in our societies, in our smaller fire community, of how to promote a, a culture, a society where we don't need to talk about our gender in money? Yeah, it, I think it's something that's going to take a while because not every place in the United States is at the same point. And so it's kind of like this rolling effect. But um, I wrote an article called Black Fire because I don't see a lot of African-American or ethnic minorities in the space at the mm -hmm. higher levels. You think of maybe Paula Pant and that's that's Jamila maybe from uh, Journey to Launch, but that's it. So one of the things that I mentioned in my article was that you need everyone, if it's important to you, to have the diversity of voice. You, you can't always mention the person that you know when you mention a new blog or a new podcast. And I think that in the women in finance uh, group that we were in, uh, there was a an article that mentioned the top five podcasts that everyone should listen. And it was all, it was five white males. There was no woman, there was no ethnic minority. And so there's a certain amount of just inclusion that can easily widen the picture. Beyond that, 
I don't know. It's hard to, I think that a lot of the women and minorities are just going to have to push their way in and take a seat, bring your own chair and get to the table. Um, I reached out as soon as I saw this podcast and this format. I thought it was a really cool format and I didn't let it, uh, I, I asked to be on it, you know, maybe I would have been invited to be on it, but I asked to be on it because I want to talk and I want to be a part of this. So I think that um, the first thing that you have to do from the perspective of the woman or the minority is to speak up and believe, get over the imposter syndrome and, and believe that you, you're going to bring your chair. You can bring one of those Coleman chairs. You can bring your chair from home, but you're going to be at the table. And then the other part is that together we need to just reach out and support each other and not only the people who look like you, but others that look different than you. That's very insightful. Thank you for that uh, comment. Deanna, do you have any thoughts on that question? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with some of those sentiments, definitely a lot of the sentiments that I love the idea of just speaking up and taking action on our behalf as women and not being intimidated, not feeling an imposter and uh, kind of just applying for the roles that we think we are eligible for, or even if we are thinking we may not be eligible for, but we would like to try it, that we just um, give it a shot. I think that's a fantastic sentiment. Let your voice be heard, right? I'm so glad that Tamika asked and made it a point. How else are you going to be at the table? MK, do you have any thoughts? Um, as the, the fiction author, um, I'll say watch your pronouns because I think the things we say and how we say them matter. And so if you're only ever talking to a child and saying, giving examples of he did this or he's a doctor and she's a nurse, then that's all that child's ever going to think of. So when you say she's a doctor and he's a nurse, that helps to reverse some of those thoughts. And then, of course, over time, the child will hear it reverse, and they'll think, oh, well, anybody can be a doctor and anybody can be a nurse. Um, but it's really just watching those pronouns so that way the next generation doesn't have all the, the sticky situations that we have. Yes, uh, controlling the, our manner of speech, which just reinforces the underlying stereotypes. I have to. I have a daughter as well, and so I'm always very conscious and careful of that. And when you say things like the average Joe, oh, no, 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 the average person, right? So it's just like, it's laced throughout our entire language that typically the man, the man is favored. Amy, you have any thoughts on this? What can we do to break these language barriers and <laughs> these uh, gender barriers? I think it's asking questions. I think the men um, should be asking women questions, asking them uh, because it seems like men have some preconceived thoughts and just as women do. And until you guys start asking us questions or telling us, you know, what you think and we're able to tell you, no, that's not correct. Or, well, this is why we think this way, or this is how you can help us, or this is what we need you to do or not do. And, and then vice versa, you know, women to ask men questions or women to explain to them, to men, you know, where we're coming from or, or what we um, what we might need help with or where we think we're better or where we can help you. It, it, we just need to communicate, right? I mean, that's any relationship. But that's the only way I really see anything getting better is for women. Yes, the um, women-only groups are good for women. But again, I don't think that, like Tamika said, they're, they're kind of temporary. We shouldn't be just in those women-only groups. We should be in the groups with the men. Otherwise, how are any of us going to learn from each other and make it better? 
So we need to interact. I want the whole panel to talk about this a little bit. There are biases. And as a white male in almost any community, I will go back to that story of that doctor who looked at the female physician and thought it was a nurse. And that doctor would look at me and say, I don't have any gender issues. Uh, yet, mm-hmm. I think there are sometimes biases. And those of us who are in the majority group sometimes think because we're not feeling it that they're not there. And I know that several times in my life, I've been hit over the head with it and realized that I had my own biases. And so I can't speak to what it feels like to be a woman in this community. I I can't. I can say I see lots of women I respect in this community. I see lots of great content producers. I see lots of movers and shakers. But again, it's easy for me because I'm not living it. And so I'd open this up to anyone in the panel. I know it's a difficult question, but where are we? Are, are we improving? Are we in a bad place? I, I can bring up several examples uh, generally of times when I've heard people say, yeah, I don't think that was so cool what happened. You see it on social media. Sometimes you see it in these forums. I don't want to bring up specifics, but there have been a few situations where I've seen got, people get pretty upset about the way things were said. Maybe I'll I'll push this over to Amy. I know this is a difficult question, but how do you think we're doing in the personal finance community? I think we're probably doing the same as every other community, honestly. I think some people are getting it and some people are making improvements. However, I know I've still been in a couple of situations where I've been a little bit surprised at um, what was said um, what was written, etc. Uh, and I'm not in, I, I am in the Choose FI Facebook group. I don't participate a lot. I read a lot, but I, I'm also in, you know, Rockstar forums and some other Facebook groups that are personal finance related. And yeah, there, there's still some things that shock me. Okay. So, but, but again, I don't think it's a whole lot different than any other community. Yeah, I would ask you the same question, Deanna. It's okay if you don't have an immediate answer, but are there moments in our community where you're like, wow, we aren't nearly as progressed as I thought we were, or boy, I can't believe that was said? You know, sometimes I can be ignorantly blissful (laughs) when I go through life, and I do tend to see things optimistically. Um, So I'm thinking about this question. I you know, I might be oblivious to a lot of situations until they get pointed out, but I will say that I've, some have been brought to my attention in the personal finance community of where they just feel that maybe something was said inappropriately or that women are not being heard. So I have heard that. Um, yeah, MK, I'd say the same thing to you. You ever listen to podcasts and kind of wonder, hmm, I don't hear anyone there that sounds like me or boy, it's been a long time since I heard someone of X category on that podcast. Um, I, I, w- I want to like leave us on a positive note. So I'd say we probably are doing better than the general population, but not incredibly better. And I think that's because there are people in the FI community who are, who are questioning just the average assumptions. Um, and so I think we've seen a, a rise in more female voices over the past year um, that have been a lot stronger, not that they weren't there, but they've gotten a bit louder. And I think that's important. Um, And I think what's good too, and this is something that, 
it's been interesting to see my husband's evolution as we started to like listen to more podcasts. Um, and where I would know, I'd be like, oh, it's really nice that, you know, they had Jamila on because she's bringing a new, you know, perspective to this podcast. And he would say, oh yeah, that is great. And I was listening to other podcasts. He was like, you know, it's so good to finally hear from somebody who's not a white male. And I just like, I get so proud that he says that. Um, and he's like, he's paying attention. So I think in general, as a community, we're starting to pay attention more. Um, and I think paying attention is the first step to then saying, okay, well, what next? Um, I think most people in the community are respectful. I, I actually stay off a lot of the forums, so maybe I'm totally uh, ignorant on that. Um, but, you know, most people I've interacted with are really great. And I, I do hear a lot of people saying that they want to see more inclusion in our community. And I think that's the first step. Uh, but then also taking a, a pause and looking around and saying, oh, people are there of all different backgrounds and all different perspectives. And we just need to give them that opportunity um, to Tamika's point and get, getting them a seat at the table. Um, so they're there. Uh, those voices are there. We just have to invite them in. So half the battles won. They're already there. We just got to include them. And to just jump off of what MK said, and also Deanna and Amy, yes, I think all three of the ladies hit on this three different perspectives of the same point. One is we are, I also and blissfully just traveling through and kind of just staying where I feel like I'm getting the diversity of voices. And also for the House of Five podcast, we're trying to get those voices. You, We're trying to get people that you haven't heard from before, as well as the people that have wonderful stories that we also want to hear more from. But as it was said by the other two women, you know, because we're in a space where you're living creatively and just uniquely outside of the box, you, you know, you're different anyway. <laughs> and so everybody's kind of different together. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't really matter what, what your color is, but it's when you look at the society as a whole and the culture and some of the obstacles that people have that you start to just want, you know, you want there to, you, you don't want to ignore that. Um, that there are different obstacles for different people, I guess. So I would say there are definitely places where you can find these topics being broached. The Fair Sense podcast is one of those places and others, but it is kind of like a, a breath of fresh air and a brand new concept when those subjects are broached. So this is also, this podcast, What's Up Next, is also another place where you're seeing that. And it's just, so so nice to to broach these topics and think about it in a larger scale. Um, I just thought of something I'd like to add too. Um, I'd love to see the men take more initiative to call other men out on things as well. I think that will help because there are a lot of men who are very supportive of women. And if they would help to call some of the other men out and point out you know, like you did, doc, you know, talking to this other doctor who, or maybe, maybe you didn't point it out to him. He told you about him, um, you know, mistaking this other doctor for a nurse, but maybe if you see those things that you call it out. And then on the flip side, I also think women have to stop bashing men too. And, and, and not all women do. And I know that's, you know, some people say that that doesn't happen, but I've seen that too from the other side where women attacking men instead of asking the questions or trying to explain, as I mentioned before, you know, people get in this attack mode and want to attack each other instead of trying to just have a conversation. And sometimes that's because the person, they're not sure how to, you know, approach that. But I do think that if women 
would try to get men to communicate with them, you know, by asking questions instead of, you know, attacking that that would help us all as well. So I wanted to jump in because I've written about this and um, I've lived it personally, but I think so many of us react out of the wounds of our past. And sometimes we're aware of this and sometimes we are not. And so um, I wrote an article called Lost in Translation and just sometimes I've had reactions to my boss or to um, colleagues, men in particularly, because I had a tumultuous relationship with my father growing up. And so occasionally I'll react out of a wound of my past and they'll kind of look at me like, where is this coming from? And it has nothing to do with them. And fortunately through the self-discovery work that I've done in recovery, I'm usually able to identify it and pull back and make a sincere apology. And then I've done this, for example, with my boss, and he's been um, really appreciative of it. But I think all of us have things in our past that we react out of. I mean, we just, we live according to the life that we know and according to the surroundings that we grew up in. And um, so I think individually, it's something that we can all get better at and just kind of inner reflection on what are our bends, what, how have we been scarred in life, whether it's by men or women, um, you know, key figures in our life, and how have they kind of skewed our perception of the other genders or authority figures, and how can we kind of heal from that and move forward and try to give everybody, you know, an even playing field in our perspectives. Well, thank you. I know this can be a very delicate subject because we're we're always trying to be uh, considerate of of one another. So, in closing, I would like to ask each of you the question that we started with, which was: Is financial independence different for women? And I think we all know that answer is yes, but I would like for each of you to give us a chance, or maybe if you say no, then, then no. Um, if you if you have a, an experience or an, a situation that you'd like to share or comment on of how it's been different for you and anything that uh, you would like to add to the conversation. MK, I think you were nodding your head. Um, So I was really trying to think on this question before the podcast and what I kind of came to is it doesn't have to be, Um, you know, the same mechanisms that would get anybody to financial independence, the high savings rate, you know, invest the difference, um, stick on the path, you know, follow the 4% or like all those things will get a man or a woman or somebody who's gender non-binary to FI in the same manner. Um, but it's realizing, well, it's personal finance. It's different for everyone. So it's mm. not different for women because they're women. It's different because each individual woman and each individual man, and each individual person is going to come at this differently. And that's why it's different for women. Not because as an entire gender, we're just off doing our own thing. It's um, sure. just because of the individual nature. So was at any point, was your earning potential reduced by any chance because of your gender, you think? Um, I, I feel like I have a unique story with that. I negotiated hard. I negotiated relentlessly. Um, and I know that that's different from females around me Mm. and I do my best to encourage them. Um, but I also know that's my individual journey and I can't speak for every woman because there are some women out there who are like, no, I don't want equal pay. I make more than men. Mm -mm." Um, (laughs) and there are some women out there who are really struggling because of the societal things that are holding them back as well. And I certainly don't want to the little that um, struggle that they're going through, but it, it is all individual and we all have our own journey. And that's why I would say it's, it's no different because I'm sure there's men out there who never negotiate and they may turn to their buddy at work and say, wait, you're making how much? Right. Um, so I, I think it's just understanding the more we continue to, 
to separate ourselves um, in some way, the more we kind of hold ourselves back. And I think there's a lot to be said to kind of let each woman or, or man take charge of their, uh, their financial independence journey because it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, it's hard to make a, a broad brush statement about based on your one personal situation, I get. Yep. Okay, Tamika, how about you? I asked you the same question. Has your gender, do you believe, influenced your path to, to financial independence? Is it different for other people, do you think? I would say that my answer is yes. On average, financial independence is different for women and that it has been different for me. There are personal circumstances and choices that happened along the way, uh, you know, not having certain things and then having other things. All of that is in the past. And so I believe that my earning potential is way higher. I believe that I should be making, I actually have a number in, in my mind for what I feel like I'm worth. And I'm not there, but I do plan to get there. Um, I'm sorry. And you're not there as far as you would be because of your gender, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I believe that, you know, I made some changes based on the fact that I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. And those are temporary changes that I, I am, now that my kids are a little older, I'm moving beyond those those restrictions or those choices, they're not necessarily restrictions, but restrictions on time out of the house that I put on myself. And so I feel like I should be making well over three or three hundred or $400,000 a year. And so that's what my numerical goal is. And that's something that I had to be comfortable with putting as a goal. I was not comfortable with that before, but as myself, as a woman, as somebody who's learning to value the amount of time and effort and grit and courage and risk and everything that I put into things, that's where I ended up. And so that's my new number and I'm not reaching that yet. And so that's my goal. Well, good for I you. feel like that. Yeah. Good for does you. Does that make sense? I can. Yes, it does. We, you, you can do it too. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Deanna, how about you in closing? Has your gender influenced your path to financial independence? I, I mean, yes and no. I'm, I, I, I loved MK's answer that it's so personal for everybody, regardless of what gender we are. And, you know, it's interesting. I wrote an article about negotiating, negotiating for a raise as a woman. And I realized when I got to the end of the article, everything I wrote had nothing to do with being a woman. It just had everything to do with being very valuable in your career and identifying you know, why you deserve the raise. And I think that's regardless of a gender. And so I tend to look at things that way. I'm also not too ignorant to know that, you know, I'm maybe been passed over on certain opportunities, potentially because of my gender. But I would say overall, my journey is unique because of my specific story. Mm -hmm. And I don't think my insecurities are specific to me being a woman. I think they were specific to situations that occurred um, in my childhood and then just overcoming them. So right now, you know, I'm a single woman on the path to financial independence. And, you know, it, sometimes I feel lonely in that journey, but most of the time I feel heroic. And I think it's pretty cool that I get to do it alone. And that I'm even um, going for such a lofty goal as Doc G calls it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's possible. You know, I've done the calculations and I've discovered that while I'm starting late at 45, I can get there by 60, which is pretty amazing. And that is with no change in, you know, my salary. That is with no uh, partner to help out. And, you know, I'd welcome all of those things. And I'm sure there's going to be fluctuations in my life between now and then. But it's exciting to see that I could do it on my own. And maybe I won't have to, but, you know, it's empowering. And I think, you know, as other women, I hope that maybe my story resonates with them and they might feel empowered too. Wonderful. I really appreciate you being so candid with your story. I know it's so inspirational. Thank you. You bet. Amy, in closing, any last thoughts on has your ginger influenced your path to financial independence? When I first thought about the question, I thought, no, it's, it's not different. Financial independence is math, right? Mm. <laughs> so um, my initial thought was, no, it's not different. We all know what we need to do um, to reach financial independence. Um, so, but then I really liked MK's answer as well, as well as the other panelists. Um, yes, it, it is. <laughs> it's been different being a woman trying to make money. Yes, I've, I think that I have uh, not made as much as a male in certain situations, but I think being a woman also has, has some advantages as well that men don't have. So um, I think, you know, from a financial perspective, earnings, um, having to take time off for, for children, there, there are some penalties, if you will, that women endure uh, because of our gender. So it, it does make it more difficult. Um, and we, you know, we didn't get into talking even about um, women's clothing costing more, women's mm -hmm. cosmetics, all those other things, you know, what do they call it, the pink tax, you know, so there are some things that do, uh, you know, cause it to, to for our pers my perspective, to be more difficult, you know, for women, but I don't know what it's like to be a man, and I'm sure it's not, <laughs> it's not easy either, and so I, I don't know, I, I'm kind of like, it's possible that it could be um, more difficult, but as MK said, it, it's, it's possible for anybody and it, right. it's all just personal. Yeah, it's hard to say. I am curious. I'm going to go there. What are the advantages of being a woman? You, you mentioned the pink tax, which it's the first time I'd ever heard of that, but I think I've, I've been able to gather what, what, what that is. You did mention uh, there are some advantages to being a woman. Do you, you care to hazard what those might be? I think... Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, maybe this is uh, getting, uh, my biases are coming out or, sure. or uh, stereotypes or whatever, but I think um, just some of the things that women were more empathetic, yep. typically. More nurturing, maybe. Uh, more nurturing, yeah, intuitive, um, mm. you know, sometimes, you know, the sisterhood kind of thing, you know. I can't think of everything off the top of my head, but I, sure. but I think there's some advantages. I mean, you know, I'm kind of competitive for women, but I think you know, generally men are extremely competitive, and I think sometimes that hinders them at things as well. Yeah, like we take each other out of the knees when <laughs> yeah. we could be working together, huh? Right. Right. Well, perfect. I'm going to round this out and I'm going to give each of you a chance to promote your current platform and anything that you are working on. So we will start with Tamika. Tamika, what is going on in your life? What's up next? And where can we find you? 
So next, uh, I'll say that Wendy and I just finished our last episode of the year where we talked about how we did this year financially, what our goals are for next year and how the podcast was doing. That's the House of Five podcast. And so next year we plan to offer more opportunities to connect with our listeners and to continue to grow the podcast, which has been growing so well. We're just in in awe. <laughs> so you can find me there at the House of Five podcast or I do blog at the reluctantfrugalist.com. Wonderful. Deanna, I'll give you the same chance to promote whatever you're working on and what is up next for you. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on here. It's been awesome chatting with you guys. So yeah, I blog at misphiology.com and I'm just being consistent. I publish articles twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And then um, some other things that might be in the pipeline, I'm contemplating coaching in a formal fashion for women. Uh, so I do it in, in an informal way with women already, as I've mentioned, but I've had more reaching out to me and just thinking about how I can structure that. I listened to your podcast on financial coaching and I've listened to it twice because I'm taking a lot of it in. Good. So just thinking about how to do that and what capacity I have, you know, to do that. And then I want to write a book um, and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I see MK raising her hand. So I might have to talk to you, but I just figured, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You just start at one bite, right? One bite at a time. So I'm just starting. I'm just writing. I have it in my Todoist app to write once a week on my book and I'll figure out what to do from there. So that's what's up next for me. That is exciting news. We're excited to hear about both developments. MK, how about you? Uh, where can we find you and what's up next for you? What's up next for me is learning more about Deanna's book. That sounds awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, what is uh, truly up next for me is I'll be speaking at Camp Fi uh, Southeast Week 1 um, in Gainesville. Um, and anybody online can find me. Uh, my social media handle is 1MKWilliams on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, I also host a YouTube channel uh, that helps sell authors who are interested in self-publishing or self-published authors uh, with their marketing, and that's at The Writer's Minute. And it's been really great to be on today, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's right. I, I love your handle because there is only one MK Williams, right? That's right. Amy, round us out. What is happening next with you, and where can we find you on the internet? Okay, I'm at lifesimplified.com. I'm also on Twitter at lifesimplified. And uh, that's my personal blog. I'm also at Women Who Money with my co-founder, Vicki. And we are going to be building out that brand more. We just uh, started the uh, website this year in March. So uh, next year, we'll continue building that out, as well as the sister site called Women's Money Talk, where we have a few things up our sleeves to start doing there. So more will come, more announced next year. Looking forward to it. All right, Doc. So I really liked this episode because it is not something that I feel like I'm equipped to ask the right questions, but it is really important to me because I love my wife and I have a daughter and I want her to live in a world where she feels comfortable being at the table. And I loved the advice that was given that it is incumbent on women now to Take a seat at the table, even if you have to bring your own table. Um, I'm sorry, or bring your own chair. Because although the invitation, there is kind of a tacit invitation for a woman to step in and make their voice heard, it's subtle. 
and a woman still has to make it a point to speak up or you won't ever hear their voice. What were your thoughts on that? You know, so I have mixed feelings on that um, because I, I also really resonated with what Tamika said. But then I also think about the fact that we have the Me Too movement. We have the glass ceiling. We have the pay gap between men and women. And then I wonder, is it unfair that we ask women to go above and beyond and bring their own chair? Maybe we as men should be extending our chairs, not in the gallant way of old, but more in the sense of we've been remiss in getting your opinion and getting your viewpoint. Now maybe we should try to invite you back in because we're missing out on the conversation because we haven't taken the time to listen to it. So I have trouble because I see both sides. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not sure which one is reality or is it a mix of both? I think it is a mix of both. And I definitely agree that we should not live in a world where anybody who's outside of the majority should have to elbow their way into the table. However, that is still the reality. And it's going to take enough of the minority, pick the scenario, in this case, women, to do so, so that it becomes commonplace. And there is definitely a trend toward that. I would say there are more and more women taking positions of leadership and feeling comfortable to not follow traditional gender roles. But we're not all the way there yet. And I have to admit, usually when we record these outros, we do them right after the episode. For multiple reasons, this one we're doing sometime afterwards. So I mm-hmm. just re-listened to the rough cut of the recording. And what's hard for me with this conversation is the arc of the episode didn't go the way I was thinking it would go. And mm-hmm. that's actually okay. That's great. Um, We come into these shows with preconceived notions, but hopefully if we're artful in our question asking, people's true opinions and ideas come out, even if they don't necessarily go in the direction we thought they would. So as we're having this conversation about gender, I actually thought the participants were going to talk more about how a gender, their gender really affected their path. But what I found is that it was one of many issues and not necessarily the predominant Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think that is exactly what I noticed listening to it again as well. I listened to it a couple of times because I think we both were trying to project a conversation one way, thinking that being a woman had a big deal on their trajectory. And it was probably not even the prevailing difference, which was maybe we just wanted a good story (laughs) and we were projecting our own thoughts here. But it was, it seemed a lot more subtle to me, at least from these participants or these panelists, that it wasn't the prevailing story there. And I think they were coming into it expecting us to talk more about the pay gap and these other differences in general and not their specific stories and how being a woman affected their lives. So let me ask you this. Is the reason that it didn't play as big of a role as we were expecting going into the episode, is the reason because we're getting towards a post-gendered society? Or is the reason because these women are different than your average or different than the majority? Or even a further question, maybe the women who pursue personal finance or financial independence have certain characteristics or qualities. Maybe they're individualists. 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're do-it-yourselfers. Maybe there's something about being in this field that has made them less likely to feel the effects of such things as the pay gap. We know it's there. Right. Right. So if we want to talk about financial independence, we, we talk about, you know, you have to make as much as you can and then you have to spend little and that gap, that space in between is what's going to eventually get you to financial independence. Mm-hmm. Well, half our country gets paid less for no other reason that we can discern at this point mm-hmm. than they're female. So I, I'm trying to grasp and I still am I'm having trouble with it. I, I I'm not sure why to these participants it didn't play as big of a role as I thought it would. I'm happy it didn't play a role in their lives. Yeah. But I'm wondering, is that the experience of women in America today or is this the experience of a small subset that we just happen to be a part of or is it those four women specifically who are on our show? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't either. It would be an interesting conversation to delve into further because we intentionally ask questions here that don't have clear answers. This is not something that we're going to have one podcast on and answer, but the, the spirit of one of the commentary was, is the more we talk about it, the better off we are. And the one thing that I took from this that I really took as an actionable difference that I'm going to be making a point to look out for was when I think it was either, I think it was Deanna that said that we should be looking out for when somebody else is amongst our own peer group is doing something that's inappropriate and we call them out. And I think it becomes, it is now incumbent on me to, to look for that because our lives live up to the expectation of our peer group. And so when I'm amongst my peer group, which are like me, white males, and I see someone doing something that's like, dude, that, don't, don't say that. That's, that's, that's inappropriate and you can do better. You're married or you, or, or you have children and you don't want to raise your children in a world where that is the, the default behavior. And I think that's something that I'm going to try and meet, take it a point to look for in my life as a result of this conversation. Yeah, me too, for sure. And I think it's important when you are part of the majority group, the non-minority group in this case, um, that you do, that you are willing to be courageous and take a stand and point out inconsistencies when they're there. I also thought the interesting part of the conversation was the fact that, so we are very conscious of certain decisions and the way we do things and the way we talk about gender, but there's also all these smaller unconscious ways we do things that we don't even realize. So when we are telling a story to our child and we talk about a surgeon, we generally use the he pronoun and not the Mm -hmm. she pronoun. Or when we talk about a nurse, we generally say she. And I wonder how many of these little things I do and say every day uh, to my son and daughter that will affect the way subconsciously they think of gender and a man and woman's place. Is that something you contemplate too? It is. Our language is very powerful and my wife catches me on it every once in a while. Like for example, I, in one of the stories I would tell, I would say average Joe and she would say, hold up. No, no, no. Don't say average Joe, say average person. And I wasn't even thinking that that was, you know, in any way. And even our language that has so many just subtleties into it. And so the doctor and the nurse is one of the obvious ones. That's something we can jump to very quickly, but there are other, other more subtle ones. 
like I, in my business talking about real estate, I talk about attorneys and I talk about accountants a lot. Well, that is not so obvious that it's a male, but that people assume that, but it is still very common for people to refer to go find a guy, go find that person. And, and, and that person that they don't say that person, they say, um, you know, when you're talking to your attorney, ask, ask him. It's always the way I say always, it's often the way people refer to. And, and I actually see it now in some literature, people will default to her just to kind of make up for all the, 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 the male pronouns that people are using. So our language is very important. And that's how we will change this prevailing ideas is, is to change the way we think about the, the world. And when we communicate that we're being more gender neutral. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I realized that in my upbringing, I was lucky, I believe in the circumstance, um, because I was brought up by a woman mostly. You know, my father died, mm -hmm. which was obviously unlucky. Um, but I grew up with a head of a household who was a woman. So it was my mother who was in MBA school when my father died, and then mm -hmm. she became an accountant. And then she was the one who ran our household. Um, and so I saw her in that light of business person. I saw her in that light as professional, a protector of the family. So these were all roles that came to me as an adult much easier. Does that mean I'm not biased? No, I think there's still unconscious bias that I mm -hmm. struggle with. Uh, but I was lucky enough to, to grow up with that role model such that to me, women in places of power was just what I grew up with. Uh, and it feels very comfortable in the times that I've had women bosses or have worked under women doctors as a resident or an intern or in a practice. It, to me, that's incredibly comfortable because actually that mimics a lot of my childhood. And sometimes I forget that that's not everyone's experience. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I had several female bosses and I never, that was not, that was not a non-issue to me. And so I'm um, having a women in a in a place of authority personally doesn't have any impact. And I didn't get a sense that, that there was a lot of, of that sentiment going on, but maybe I was that um, ob oblivious person you were talking about in your question that, you know, if you, if you don't feel it, then it must not be going on. And I, I think women are just expected to have to do it all. Uh, they, they don't get a pass on anything. Whereas men kind of get this ability to focus on a career, especially in a way that a woman doesn't because there's just this default behavior. For example, I have taken my children out before and I, I had my, my nieces with me. So I had five children with me. It was just me and five children. And people would come by and pat me on the shoulder and said, you're doing such a great job. And they assumed that all the children were me. Well, if that was a, a woman with five children out there, no one would give them, them a pat on the back for doing a good job of being a mother. That, that's, that's the expected behavior. But because I happened to be, be a dad out with what appeared to be five kids, I was somehow living up to some higher standard that wasn't the default. Yeah, and I, I think what all of this is pointing to as in society as a whole on some level, but certainly I think within personal finance, we've got past some of that basic ugly bias, right? So no one in personal finance is going to call you out because you're a woman and you shouldn't do that. Mm. But we're now to that next step on the rung that we actually have to start going back to our basic assumptions and subconscious and trying to weed out that which is more difficult to see. And so I think that's kind of what's up next in our community is to go past the obvious biases and start thinking about 
those that are less, less obvious. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Tamika from House of Phi, Deanna from Miss Phiology, Amy from Life Exemplified and Women Who Money, and M.K. Williams, the writer of multiple books, including her latest, Enemies of Peace. That's a wrap. Hey, M.K., where are you? Can you hear us? Yeah, you yeah, can. Um, where, I forget, where are you based out of? Tampa. I was just in Tampa for two weeks. What? And you didn't come visit us? How rude of me. Golly. You're cheating on our podcast by doing all sorts of other things. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm definitely doing more than just the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you. Yeah, that's very true. Most memorable moments are not planned. So as well as most of our outtakes. Yeah, so quick, quick, be funny. The outtakes funny. are great. I love the outtakes. Do you? I know, they're, they're funny. That was all Paul too. This is all pretty much Paul. I find the subjects, he pretty much does everything creative with it. Well, you are such a masterful interviewer, Doc, so it makes for a good, a good teamwork. Oh, sure. Put me on the spot. Now I feel stress. <laughs> <laughs> like this or another one. And he's usually in something that color too. So. Yeah. That's very Zuckerberg of you guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's what we're vibing on right here is is just just call Zuck. You should have okay. seen all the, heard all the other guests before we went through editing. It was whew. <laughs> Yeah. They they were almost speaking another language. <laughs> <laughs> I wa- I quit my job in February to start watching her every day. And so now my second grandchild is coming in June and I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I was about to say, they were like, we're getting all this help. We might as well have another. I know. No, I'm like, yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. Wow. It's a lot of work. Yay. I'm here. Hi. Hopefully, Hi. I couldn't see you before. If I'm good at my questioning, you'll all know each other better by the time we finish the conversation. Awesome. Um, You're on mute. We're not going to actually have you guys talk at all. <laughs> oh, the better. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.